Sometimes people ask what it's going to be like in heaven. Someone asked me one time, do you think we'll know one another? So you think we'll be stupider in heaven than we are on earth? <laughs> like... <laughs> And then the question is asked, what are we going to do in heaven? If you're from the south, you might think, well, we might sit on the front porch of heaven in a rocking chair and sip lemonade, you know, playing a harp whenever you feel like it. Um, I suggest we're going to work. We're going to be busy. When God created Adam in the garden, he gave him something to do. I think we're going to serve the master. Joyfully, happily. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. But it seems to be a part of the human race that God has ordained. Work. Work. Labor. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Take your Bibles and turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We continue on with this little outline. Let me read the first seven verses for you as you watch your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. <clears throat> well, we're working our way to the end of this little series. Uh, my plan is to bring it to a close this morning, and then this afternoon I'll give you a final exhortation uh, before we leave uh, in another uh, text. But we've looked at the source of our strength. We have looked at the strategy for our service. We have looked at the suffering by way of separation for the master, our striving, that is, uh, being obedient and disciplined in our life as we continue on. And this morning we're going to roll up our sleeves and uh, realize that this is a big deal. This is not easy. This is very difficult. Have you ever faced anything really difficult in your life? Go like this. <laughs> of course you have. Uh, everybody faces that. You know, someone has said, character is built in the factory of sorrows. 
when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You never give up. It's not in the vocabulary. You just keep going. And the principle we're going to look at this morning is that if a farmer never farmed, he'd never have a crop. <laughs> You've got to farm. You say, well, I want a, I want a garden. Great. What do you need? Well, I need a, a shovel. I need a, a tiller. I need to go out and break the ground up, so I buy one. Well, what else do I need? Well, I need some seed. I need some fertilizer. I need to make sure that I have adequate baskets to put the crop in when I harvest it. And so I do all these wonderful things, but um, I buy the things I need. I have them all set up. It's right beside the plot of ground, but I never dug the ground. I never planted the seed. I never fertilized the seed at the end of the season, I come to get the crop, and of course there's nothing but weeds there, because I never actually did it. I just thought about it. I don't think I have been in a meeting this year that I did not hear either quoted in its entirety or referenced that we're not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the work. It, it, it just pops up all over the place. It already has here a few times this week, just someone in their prayer or mention it in their conversation or something. So we're quite familiar with that principle that if you don't do it, it doesn't help. You know, if I looked in the mirror this morning and I said, uh, Joe, my goodness, you need to wash your face and comb your hair and brush your teeth and you're, you're in pretty bad shape here, buddy. You better do something before you go down to breakfast, you know. And I walk away, and I don't do anything. I might as well not have looked, right? I mean, what good did it do me to look if I'm not going to do it? So I take my Bible, and I read my Bible, and it says, you need to work, and you need to do this, and you need to separate yourself, and you need to go on, and you whatever. And I go, boy, that's... That's wonderful, but I don't do it. I might as well not read it. That's the principle James is talking about. But there's one little part in there that we often forget, and it's this. If a man only, if you be hearers only, lookers only, you know what it says? You deceive yourself. Hmm. Oh, it's not just nothing happens. No, no. Oh, I, I went to Pacific Bible Conference Ministries Mission Springs. I'm not sure how this thing goes, but I, I went to a whole week of, of conference as though just going and hearing this is really the key. Well, it's certainly part of it. You got to hear. Faith comes by hearing. But if you don't do anything, you go back and you put... you. You have this idea that by going is a, does a great thing. Well, James reminds us we deceive ourselves if, if that's all we think. We've got to carry it out. And I think this is the emphasis of this part of my little series. If, if I dare change this, please bear with me. Uh, I, I, I can't 
read the original. I can't compare manuscripts and all that. But I would like to alter the thought of this verse a little bit. And I hope I'm not doing any disgrace to the scriptures when I do this. But, it, but it, the text reads like this in the old King James. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Now the implication of that is that a farmer goes out here and he pours his whole life into this crop and so he should be the first one to get the result of that. He should benefit from the result of that labor, okay? I believe, and Randy will help us with this because he, he knows such things like this. Um, I believe that God always required the first fruits for himself, whether it was in the animal kingdom or in the garden or the fields. First fruits, I believe, are always for the Lord. So <clears throat> let me suggest that the way I'm going to approach this verse is this. The farmer must labor first in order to be partaker of the fruits. That's the way I'm going to look at it. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't have any right. If he's the guy planting the garden, he's got the right to get the first tomato. I understand that. But I would like to approach it this way. Unless there is work, unless there is labor, unless you sow, you can't reap. And I would like to approach it from that perspective. The husbandman or the farmer must labor first in order to be a partaker of the fruit. There won't be any fruit if you don't labor first. No labor, no crop, no work, no harvest, no sweat, no fruit, no reward. Now, <clears throat> let me speak to you a moment about the second mile Christian. You may be familiar with that, you may not. Uh, in Matthew 5, 41, we won't turn there, uh, the Lord Jesus makes this little statement. He says, whosoever shall compel you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Let's consider that for a moment. The first mile is my duty. That is what I'm compelled to do. This is what the law tells me to do. The second mile is my opportunity to show that I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Put it in perspective, first mile husbands. First mile husbands are faultlessly attentive but never considerate to their wives. They're very polite, but never affectionate, never go out of their way. <clears throat> now, I have not been taking notes this week, okay? I've not been watching you, okay? So just forget that. I, 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 don't, I don't do things like that. If I happen to bump into you and see you do something, well, that's one thing, okay? But I, I'm not, I don't have my binoculars out. I'm not doing any PI work around here, okay? Um, do you still open the door for your wife? I mean the car door. 
Do you go out of your way? See, first mile is, well, who's watching? Oh, oh, oh hi, hon. Uh, yes, come on in. Uh, do this, do that. You know, uh, it, it's, it's incredible, you know. First mile wives, they're very proud and very fond of their husbands, but privately, uh, they're only civil and cold. They are too polite to be rude, but too selfish to be kind. First mile wives. First mile parents, giving their children everything but sympathy, consideration, gentleness, and understanding. First mile children, they are respectful of their parents in public, but totally inconsiderate when away from them. This is the acid test. They are civil to each other, but seldom helpful and kind to their siblings never giving up or going out of their way to help their brother or sister in the family. First mile children. Question, what keeps families like that together? The answer is the law of respectability. By that law, they are compelled to do what is politically correct. And in public, they march in like the uh, model couple uh, with their stepladder children all dressed appropriately for the meeting. Hey, you say, great, th this is wonderful. However, outside of that social appearance, social life, outside, at home, Closed doors, pull drapes. You want to know what a family's really like? Ask the kids. Ask the little children. They're hurtfully honest. Your breath stinks, they say to you, you know? They're just hurtfully honest. Oh, my dad hollered at my mother on the way to the meeting this morning. Yeah. And you should have heard of what she said to him. <laughs> First mile, well, <clears throat> you know, in, in social life, outside, everybody's politically correct. Um, wages and time and labor and conditions, first mile people, they show no consideration for others. They just want themselves. Eight hours of pay for less work than that. When the clock strikes four, they're on the street before the fourth stroke of the clock. This is what we call the first mile person. First mile Christians, they go only as far as they have to. What is required? Show me what the Bible says I have to do as a Christian. Some have never outgrown the question, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question for an unbeliever. That's a lamentable question for a believer. What have I got to do? What does the law demand? First mile, Christians pick and choose between Christ's command and label some as non-essential. 
I'm amazed at how we either unconsciously or consciously set ourselves up as a standard of what is right and wrong. <laughs> I read something and say, well, I don't think that's right. Who, who made you the authority? Who, who, who gave you the right to de determine what is essential and non-essential? What saith the scriptures? Remember Simon? Simon, just a bystander, one day a man carrying a cross by the name of Jesus fell under the weight of that cross and a Roman soldier said, hey you, pick it up. Say, Simon, why are you carrying the cross? I was compelled. Simon, will you carry the cross away from Calvary? Voluntarily. That's the second mile. <laughs> what have I got to do? Is, is, this, is this my um, attitude toward the Lord? Is this my attitude toward the word of God? Second mile. Second mile Christian at home looks for things that are not required, looking for ways to serve those within the home, the household, that family, not just what's required of the head of the home, but can I not go beyond? Can I not work at it? In the office, how I conduct myself on the job will determine how people see Christ in me. If I only do what is demanded by my job, that's just the first mile. Christians look for ways to go beyond the first mile, to volunteer whether you're husband or wife or children or parents or grandparents, the second mile goes beyond the expected. First milers give up, you know. They say, I did it. I did my duty. Simon carried the cross. How far? I don't know. At some point, he laid it down. He said, I'm done with that. That's all. They made me do it. I had to do it. I had no choice. They compelled me to go a mile, and I'm done. First milers get tired. They quit. They go to bed early. They stop praying. They stop witnessing. They give up. Second milers don't. Second milers keep going. They keep praying, they keep serving, they keep studying, they keep giving, they keep laboring, they keep working, they keep watching. Second milers keep going. I didn't say it was easy. I began early on in my Christian life to realize God stretches us, gets us out of our comfort zone. Some of you have heard this before. Go to sleep now. Okay. I'll, I'll wake you up when it's over. I went to Bible school with my pen, my Bible, and my notebook in this pocket. 
I'm going to four years of Bible school. First class I go to is Schaefer's Systematic Theology. I had 31 pages to read in that book. I had that class three times that week along with four other subjects. I had never read a book in my life. I never even read a comic book, much less 30-something pages in Chafer's Systematic Theology. I thought to myself, Lord, I can't believe this. I mean, this is not what I expected. When I got saved, I, I, I told the Lord, I said, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. He sent me to school. Incredible. I'd rather face headhunters and crocodile infested rivers. I mean, I'm ready for that kind of stuff, but school? Uh-uh. Hard? You don't know how many times I wanted to give up. You don't know how many times I gave up. <laughs> the Lord wouldn't let me go. You've got to keep going. Through adversities and through heartaches. Some through the fire. But all through the blood. I, I mean, folks, this, this idea of going on ha has inherent with it hard work, toil, labor, strength is sucked out of you. At the end of a day or a week or a month or a year or I, I don't know, you put it in your own context. You come to the place, you go, I am done. I says, oh, no, we're not done. We've just begun. Well, how can I possibly go on? Oh, you see, you'll be strong in grace. <laughs> That's what will keep you going. Well, <clears throat> how do I know it works if I keep going? Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians. Chapter 6. Notice in verse uh, 7. Galatians 6 and 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Notice this next verse. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. If we faint not. Some people get tired and give up because they don't think it's worth it to go on. Some people get tired and give up because somebody else has offended them and they don't go on. Others get 
tired and give up because physically they can't do what they used to do. Some get tired and give up because they get so discouraged and so depressed they can't even think straight anymore and they say, I I'm just, I'm out of here. I, I can't go. Some get tired and give up because they're weary in well-doing. All these years I've served the Lord and I've served him and I've served him and, and I've tried to be as faithful as I can and uh, his grace has been sufficient, but I'm just at the end. Be not weary in well-doing. Why? There's a finish line. And the law of the harvest, don't forget the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. We reap later than we sow. And we reap more than we sow. But there are two fields. We neglect the Lord and sow in the flesh. Let me tell you, the law of the harvest is still true. You get what you sow. You get it later than you sow. And you get more. Sometimes we get away with it, we think. Or we see others and we go, my goodness, uh, how do they get away with that? You don't get away with anything. One day the judge settles all the accounts. One day the bumper crop comes in. But if, if you've sown to the Spirit, if you've sown in God's field, if, if you've done it for Christ, if you've evaluated the thing and say, oh man, I, I'm no good at this, but I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> then you will reap. Fruit will come. Rewards are ahead. It's going to be later, okay? It's later. It's another world we're living for, not this one. One day you get a private meeting with the master. He's going to say thank you very much for laboring in my field. I know you thought the worms got the crop. I know it didn't look good from your perspective, but you kept working. You, you did what you could. You didn't have a lot of encouragement along the way. But you kept going. I saw all that. I know you were weary. 
I know at times you just wanted to give up. But you didn't. I helped you. And now's the time. Enter into the joy of the Lord now. It's worth it now. Oh, you had a hard time. You were just walking by faith. I know you, you couldn't see much when you were there. But it's by sight now. It's okay. You're home. It's another world, folks. You've got to keep that in perspective. It's another world. Let me go with you to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's in Rome. Epaphroditus is in Thessalonica. A little church there decided they, they wanted to send him a gift. They said to Epaphroditus, would you take this to Rome for us as though it's just around the block? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, I'd be great. I'd, I'd love to take that gift. It's incredible, the technology today. I got on Google Map this morning, and I asked for directions from Thessalonica in Greece to Rome in Italy by foot. <laughs> you can actually choose. Oh, by foot. Oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. So, boom, here comes the map. Okay. And it says, warning. This route may not have sidewalks. are marked trails. Oh, okay. Probably didn't when Epaphroditus made the trip. And um, one route was 189 hours it would take, and the other uh, was 219 hours or something like that. You gotta think now, how many hours a day would this man travel and try to put that in perspective, okay? Uh, I'm sure that the marked trails today are probably better than they were in Paul's day. All I'm saying is that this is kind of a long trip. And, uh, and you had to cross the sea as well at some point. You had to wait on a boat. I don't know if they ran every 15 minutes like shuttles at the airport or not. But nevertheless, you could get there. Uh, just Google that for fun sometime when you go home and uh, go on the walk mode and uh, show you some of these things. And look at verse 25 of Philippians 2. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice how he uh, identifies this man. First of all, he's my brother. And then he says, my companion in labor. 
This man is not just a brother in the Lord, and I don't say that lightly. A matter of fact, in order for Paul to call him a brother, that means that the Lord Jesus has got to go to Calvary. This thing is much bigger than we understand. In order for you and I to call one another brothers and sisters in the family of God, it reflects back to the person who made all that possible. My brother, my companion in labor, so uh, he's a brother, he's a laborer, notice, he's a soldier, a fellow soldier, but look, but your messenger, here's a man who is so humble that, that not only is he a brother in Christ and a worker, a laborer, and a soldier, a fighter, but he says, I don't mind taking the message, I'll just be a messenger boy. A messenger and he that ministered to my needs. Wow, those are pretty good credentials. Notice verse 26. He, Paphroditus, longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Um, I don't know how stupid I could be. He wasn't from Thessalonica, he was from Philippi. Now, you, you'll adjust that, okay? My point was, it was a long trip, and this man was sick. He might have been sick when he left, I'm not sure. He might have got sick along the way. I'm not sure. One thing I know is that he didn't give up. He kept going. He had credentials that you would look for. If Timothy was looking for a faithful person to instruct, this man would qualify. One unique thing about this man, not just that he was a laborer and a soldier and a messenger and all these wonderful things, this man was so tender-hearted that when he heard that back home they heard that he got sick, made him sad. Because he knew they'd be, they'd be worried. They sent me with a gift. I, I, I'm sick. They'd be thinking, oh, if we hadn't sent him, if he hadn't gone, maybe he would be well. He almost died on the trip. But notice the recommendation that Paul gives him. Verse 29, hold him in high esteem. I don't know about you, but it's hard to give reference to people today. I mean, unless you really know someone, the best you don't give them very good reference. I tried that a couple of times and it come back to haunt me. Paul says, you can trust this guy. And he tells us why. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack. In other words, they wanted to send him a gift and my goodness, they couldn't get it to him. And Paphroditus Maybe volunteered, maybe they asked him. I don't know. He brought the gift. A lot of people have had heart attacks and emotional problems and everything else. 
for the business, <laughs> for their advancement and their secular ambitions. I mean, people commit suicide when Wall Street falls. <laughs> Can you believe how stupid that is? Yeah, well, if you've got all of your, you know, it's like the church secretary and the pastor talking. Guy comes out of his office and he's just irate. Just irate. I said, what's going on? I said, oh, he raked me over the coals this morning how much money we spent on brooms. Brooms? Yeah, spent too much money on brooms. Oh, secretary said, well, you'd be irate too if everything you'd given to the church this year was tied up in brooms. That's all he'd given. People who are critical, people who are often uh, stingy, are the people who don't give, the people who don't work, the people who don't labor. Think about it. People who are often so critical are the people who don't do anything. He was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. For Christ. Not because he, the interest rate went down on his investments. Not because the house now declined to $50,000 less than what we paid for it. Folks, we're living for another world. Can I remind you of that? You're not here to make money or lose money. That's not your goal in life. You're here to serve Jesus Christ. If you can serve the Lord by making money, great. If you can serve the Lord by losing money, great. It doesn't matter as long as you can serve the Lord Jesus. Don't let the world stress you out to the point you cannot serve him. We must keep going and we must have the Lord Jesus in our sights and not this world around us. Uh, quickly, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. little church at Philippi. I just want to point out a couple of things. At Philadelphia, sorry. Boy, I'm, I'm all mixed up this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For Notice their credentials now. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Kept my word, not denied my name. Here's a little assembly that was dedicated to the Son of God. Saturated 
with the Word of God and therefore activated by the Spirit of God. Didn't have much strength, but God opened a door that no one could close. Maybe that's the testimony of your assembly. Don't be shy. Listen, small is not always better. But if you're small because you are holding on to the word of God and you won't compromise it, well, then you can't change that. If you happen to be small because you're dedicated to the Son of God, you will not deny that name. Well, you can't change that. But if you're small because you've given up, you can change that. If you're small because you're weary and well-doing and you quit, you can change that. If you're small because evangelism is just not your thing, then you can ask for help. We can go on. We don't have to accept that small is okay. Wouldn't you want more saved? Wouldn't you want a, a healthy assembly, a, a vibrant assembly, a big assembly? What's wrong with that? For Christ, that he might have the reward of his suffering. Not that we would boast, that we mark our name in the marble or the stained windows. That's not what it's about. It's for him. And so perhaps we close this little series by saying consider him consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest he be wearied and faint hmm. consider him as the captain of your salvation um, Consider him as the point man in the race. Consider him as the tireless laborer who would not quit. He didn't come to Bethlehem and say, no, I didn't think it'd be like this. I think I'm going home. Nor did he go into the temple at 12 and say, well, I've gone this far, but now I'm going home. Nor did he walk the dusty streets of Jerusalem or the shores of Galilee and suddenly realized this thing is not going the way I anticipated it to go. I'm, I'm going home. No, the tireless labor, he, he labored and he labored and he labored and one day he does get the reward of his suffering. Because he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, one day God is going to highly exalted, exalt him and every knee. Every tongue will confess. The tireless laborer. When you think about quitting, you think about him. When you think about fighting, you think about the battle he won. When you think about running, you think about how he impeccably kept the law of his God and the will of his God. You think about somebody that endured to the end. He endured to the end.
Let us consider him. Father, thank you for reminding us of these simple truths. Thank you for giving us examples of men like Epaphroditus. We don't have to read very far in the scriptures. We see dozens of men and women who counted it all loss for Christ. We must admit that that would, is something that we would esteem to. We'd like that. We, we hope for that. Father, we get so bogged down that we can hardly put one foot in front of the other. We can hardly swing another swing in the battle. And when we don't see the crop coming, when it looks like it's a failure, pretty easy just to walk away and say, I'm not going to cultivate that field anymore. I'm not going to water that anymore. It's, it's not going to happen. Lord, help these dear folks here today not to be weary in well-doing. They shall reap if they faint not. Show them Jesus all over again. We were so vividly reminded of him last night. Thank you for those reminders. Thank you that he never gave up. Thank you that he whispers in our ear, I am with you and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. No matter what deep waters you have tread, no matter how hot the fire you have come through, I am your God and you cannot run me off. I am with you. We're going all the way. Thank you for these thoughts. And may these thoughts only reflect and point us to him, the greatest example, our great shepherd, and the best of masters in his name. Amen. Thank you.